Christmas story. We have this familiar encounter. I'm sure many of us who have been to church around enough, long enough will be familiar with this story, this encounter with this woman at this well in the back of beyond. Just for a moment, I want you to just think of the most unlikely person in your family or friends or work colleagues to become a follower of Jesus. And I want you to think maybe of our society as to who may be deemed so far from God that they've got little hope of encountering Jesus. But it would appear from this story, and indeed from the story of Mike, that his love, his grace, and his mercy is really for everyone, and not just for a select few. One commentator said, John invites us to step into the woman's shoes and marvel at the interest Jesus takes in her. Maybe you want to do that. Step into her shoes as we just meander through this story at the moment. And the first thing I'm wanting to perhaps emphasize is that this was the most unlikely encounter in the most unlikely place of Samaria. I don't know how clearly you can see on the map there, but the normal route up to the quickest uh, route up to Galilee from Jerusalem, which was where Jesus was going, would be through straight down the middle, would be going up through Samaria up to Galilee. But because of the histor- history, the Samaritans were loggerheads with the Jews. We haven't got time to go into all of that. But basically, the Jews didn't see the Samaritans as fully Jewish. They'd intermarried, etc., in the past. They'd had all sorts of battles in the, uh, going on over the centuries. And, uh, um, and often, the Jews would be attacked going through the hillsides there because they were Jews. They were open to be attacked because of it. So often, any self-respecting rabbi would do the round trip and they would go up down to Jericho and go up along the Jordan River and then cut up just before Galilee up to Bethshan and, and go, go up into Galilee. But Jesus decides to do perhaps the route that wasn't so well trodden. And he decides to go up through the hill country and up towards Galilee that way. And on the way, they end up stopping at this place near, um, near um, Shechem, or near Nablus uh, area, as we would know today. It would take approximately, it's about 40 miles, it would take approximately one and a half days to do walking. Now, just imagine in the heat that we presently had, certainly at weekend, 30, 32 degrees, that would be the norm in Israel, certainly in the latter months there. So, you know what it's like as to how tired and weary and thirsty you can get. And this is what we're seeing here. John is describing something of the humanity of Jesus. He was fully man 
and he was fully God. So he knew what it was like to get tired and weary. Okay? So for those of you that have been tired and weary this last week and you're struggling, he knows what it's like. He's been there too. He's got the t-shirt. A most unusual place to have an encounter. And as I was dwelling on this, I wondered where our Samarias are. I wonder where those no-go areas are in our own lives that, for fear of this, that and other, we're not going to go in that particular place in people's lives. It was an unlikely encounter also with a woman for all sorts of reasons. Historically, biblically, you will know that sadly women had... um, no little legal power um, and uh, we know that certainly from a Jewish perspective that they worshipped separately um, we know that in Jewish and Greek the Greeks never allowed a woman to teach we know that women were not counted as a reliable witness but no rabbi would ever be seen openly talking to a woman. No rabbi would be seen doing that. In fact, most rabbis even struggle to talk to their wives in the public, in outside. So here's Jesus having an encounter with a woman, and not just a woman, but a Samaritan at that as well, who were loggerheads. The other aspect of going through Samaria is that from a Jewish perspective, there was a sense that they may become unclean. So it seems most unlikely, a most unlikely place that anybody should encounter with God, most unlikely that a Samaritan woman at a well should encounter with, with, with God. Why was the woman at the well at the midday sun because the majority of the women from the village would have gone up early morning or late evening to avoid the hot sun. So there wasn't just the mad dogs and Englishmen out in the midday sun. There's a Samaritan woman as well. Why was she there in the midday sun? Probably because the women of the village would have gathered in the morning, getting the water and having a good natter and a catch-up and a gossip. But because of her history, as we find out later on, five husbands and living with the present one, No doubt she was seen as off-limits, as immoral, as shameful. And so she kept her head down and went to the well when she knew nobody else would be around. So she was quite stunned to find a bloke there at the well. Not only a bloke, but a Jewish guy as well. But she met with Jesus. And it wasn't just a one-off encounter that Jesus had with women. It seemed to me Jesus lifts the profile and support of women. It's not an us and them. God created us all. And it seems that through the Gospels we see how Jesus encounters women in different places, of how some of the early disciples were women, of how the women went to, were there at the cross and were there at the tomb and were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Jesus is sending a message out here to you ladies. 
that you are loved. Just as you are. And who else would have spoken or reached out to this woman? Who else? Certainly the disciples wouldn't have done it. But Jesus broke the taboos. He broke the traditions. He dared to take the risks and reach out with compassion to this woman. And as I dwelt on that thought, I thought, sadly, generally, the church, I'm speaking generally here, but the church can tend to have a mindset of reaching out to the most likely. To the most likely, to the most like us. Who would not to be so far off. Who would appear to have our values and our education and our ethical way of doing things. And we don't want anyone to spoil our nice church. But Jesus breaks through the likely and he goes to the unlikely. Paul writes, doesn't he, to the Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If we belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What a challenge that is to us that we might dare to reach out to the most unlikely. And then we see that Jesus, sorry, there's the most unlikely lady. I'm trying to whiz through this a little bit quicker. And then we see this encounter at Jacob's well. Jacob's well is no match for Jesus' well. You can go and visit even today, built with a church around and about it, whether it's that particular well or not, but it's certainly an ancient well which goes to a depth of over 100 feet And people would come to the well traditionally. The ladies would have come to the well usually with a leather type bucket that could easily be folded up and carried easily. And then when they came, they had sort of, um, if you like, a, a, a framework that the leather could hang on. They could dunk it in and get their water out. And Jesus encounters this woman as he sat at the well there, absolutely whacked as I would say from up north, sweating like Barney's bull. And he was spitting feathers. And he wanted a drink. And this woman is coming to the well, wanting to get water, not sure whether she could go any further or not. And he initiates the conversation. Can you give me a drink, love? And so the conversation dwells around water. Water that is precious in this arid climate. Everybody knows how precious water is when you live in Israel. 
and you preserve it and you keep it um, and there's underground cisterns built in order that when the winter rains come they can preserve it for the long hot summer it's hot from around about April till end of October there's no rain at all so it's precious and then Jesus begins the conversation by talking about um, living water he reveals who he is and, the, and also the gift of God is offered to her the living water living water means that it's moving that's the essence of what living water is it's moving, it's flowing it's like a stream, it's like a river as opposed to the still water of this well And Jesus is offering her a living water. The rabbinic, the rabbinic law was, um, was that it was uh, running water, living water, that was ritually cleansing before people went up to the temple when they went into their particular baths. And so the woman would have been aware, she knows the landscape well, just as much as you might know Norfolk very well, you know where the broads are and you know where this, that and the other is. So she knew exactly the area and she stood there thinking, well, I'm absolutely sure there is no living water, there is no rivers in this area of Shechem. So what on earth is he talking about? But if he's got some, I'll have it. And she was beginning to think on an earthly base rather than heavenly she could only work with what she with what she had she fixed her eyes on earthly things rather than spiritual living water is a life nourished by God and Jeremiah rebuked Israel by saying my people have committed two sins they've forsaken me the spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water apparently it was Lord Byron the English poet who described his own experience he said drank every cup of joy drank early deeply drank drank draughts which common millions might have drank then died of thirst because there was no more to drink I wonder what well are you drinking from? Jesus offers the life-giving water. She'd misunderstood what Jesus was offering and so many times misunderstandings come in when we come around God's word I remember the misunderstanding I heard of a, of a, a lady who was going to celebrate um, her birthday and the husband said to her, what is it you would really, really want to do for your birthday? What is it you, you would dream? She said, I wish I was 12. And so for his, her birthday, he planned to go to Alton Towers and they did the, the Big Dipper and they did the water shoots and they bought candy floss and ice cream and they went to McDonald's for supper and eventually they got home and got into bed absolutely whacked. 
And he said to his wife, so what did you think? What was it like then? Being 12 again. And she turned to him and said, I dreamt of being a size 12. (laughs) But we can so misunderstand sometimes what Scripture is saying. Even the early disciples were accused of being cannibals because they were eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. So it easily creeps in. And we have to be careful. We can't take the Bible literally. Some people say, I'm taking it literally. You can't take it literally. How does that work when Jesus says, I am a door? you would be probably admitting him to a psychiatric unit. So it seems that there are times when Jesus paints a picture to somehow allow us to get a glimpse of God's mystery and majesty and love for us. Just like sometimes when we're describing to a friend that we can't quite put into words. It's like, you know, such and such and such. But much, much more than that. And here Jesus encounters with this woman, woman looking for living water. And then he reveals to her that uh, um, Jesus keeps the focus on the conversation which diverts onto worship. We haven't got time to go there. But he keeps the focus on who Jesus was. Was he a good man, a bad man, or the promised Messiah? And he reveals to her, of all people, he reveals to her and says in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Or another translation is, I am he. So to everyone's surprise, Jesus is sharing one of his first I ams to this woman at the well. The divine name uttered by God to Moses, which we looked at a number of weeks ago. And as Jesus then declares, I am. I am God in the flesh. You may have tried many other wells, but remain thirsty. He offers you a living water. A living water. Maybe you've grown weary and tired and you want to pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you're giving and giving and giving but not actually taking something in. So it seems to me that as Jesus offers this living water to her, Scripture speaks of the Spirit of God coming into our lives and sealing us and depositing himself within us. But there's more. But there's more. And Paul says, go and be filled and keep on being filled because we leak. And maybe it's physically hot and tired, but maybe in our own general walk at the moment, we're weary and tired. And we're coming up to a new season where we're going to be getting up and going with a kids' church and all the other programs. Maybe this is just a moment to simply be still 
and receive afresh that life-giving water to fill us anew that we might be of some earthly use to him. And finally, and very quickly, she was the most unlikely she was the most unlikely oops, sorry she was the most unlikely witness. She was one of the first evangelists. This most unlikely woman who then runs back to her town and tells her people about this encounter with this guy who could tell everything that there was about me and appears to come to the conclusion that he must be this promised Messiah. And then the gang, a gang, a group from the town, we don't know how many, come to Jesus. Jesus said to her, go and call them and come back. And she did just that. And they all came and gathered round and then asked him, would you stay for another couple of days? And more came and believed. The most unlikely witness. You can spot a new believer very easily because usually they're full of vim and vigour because they've had an encounter and it's the eyes are open that once they couldn't see it and now, oh yeah, it makes sense now. And so, the new believer tends to be wanting to tell their story. I remember, as you've heard my story before, running home from the youth group and going, going in home and saying to my mum and dad, sat on settee watching telly, Dad, Dad, I'm a Christian! And the response at the time was, oh, right, yeah. It's what teenagers, you know, it's a phase. That phase has lasted some 40 years or so. Maybe we need to just pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We have a story to tell. Not to ram it down people's throats. We have a story to tell and we have a life to live out by the power of the Spirit in and through us. By bearing the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness. So that people will see there is a difference here and I want a piece of it. And that they might come and ask And just as much as we don't quite know what this woman's fully said to them all, and even though she may have been a little bit excommunicated in her own community, hey, watch her, she'll be after your husband next. You can imagine the gossips. Somehow, something was different about her. And it caught their attention. And they met with Jesus. What a lovely phrase right at the end of that passage where it said, And the the town folk declared that this man really is the saviour of the world. We sing it in one of the Christmas carols, don't we? And, 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 And it's a hymn as well, isn't it? But this I know, that he was born of Mary, when Bethlehem's manger was his only home, and that he lived at Nazareth and laboured, and so the saviour, saviour of the world is come. And at 82, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace and had been a, a slave owner, he's, he's, he records by saying, My memory is nearly gone, 
but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour there are hundreds of people within touching distance of you and I who may seem the most unlikely people to come to Christ but in the words of Paul but how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard it's challenging and after seeing this encounter be reminded that we shouldn't write anyone off so do you feel dry need refreshing come all you who are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money come buy and eat to those who are hungry for knowledge and wisdom and love Jesus says I am the bread of life and he who comes to me will never go hungry and who believes in me will never be thirsty to those who feel abandoned or isolated to those who feel that they may have let God down big style he says anyone who comes to me I will never drive away come is an invitation come and meet him for yourself come and feel his touch come and know of his transforming work within our lives so that we become something of that living water that ripple effect Maybe you're tired of digging other wells and exhausted. And Jesus is reminding us again and again, come back to me. I'm the living water. Allow me to have my way amongst you and through you. And that's life-giving water. Let's pray.